Let us pray. Lord God, we wish to see Jesus. By your Spirit's power, give us eyes to see his glory. Through Christ we pray. Amen. The first reading today is Psalm 42. As a heart longs for flowing streams, so longs my soul for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hoping God, I shall again praise him, my help and my Lord. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of Haran and Mount Mizor. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of thy cataracts, all thy waves and thy billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. The epistle reading is from Galatians 2, verses 15-21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by the faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I reveal what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. <clears throat> and the life I know live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Amen. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Moving from Pittsburgh to Kansas when I was a teenager was weird, 
because not only did I get stupid jokes about the Wizard of Oz all the time, please don't subject me to them. I have heard it, I promise you. I don't care how original you think it is. And the perceptions that people from Western PA have of people from Kansas are really strange. They're rarely rooted in much reality, and when they are, they're usually confused with another state altogether, like Oklahoma or Nebraska. Um, for example, corn is from Nebraska. Wheat is from Kansas. Nebraska is the Cornhusker state. I also had people ask me really strange things that were completely off the wall, like, why don't you have a southern accent? <laughs> to which my answer was, because I'm not from the south. <laughs> I always tried to make it a point to exaggerate my drawl when I said that. Everyone assumed I grew up on a farm and was totally shocked when I told them we had a shopping mall and a community college in the little city that I grew up in. That was not the worst part, though. The worst part was the culture shock. Because, yes, Kansas is technically in the same country as Pennsylvania, but they are worlds apart. And yes, English is the predominant language there, just like it is here, but the Midwest, and when I say Midwest, I mean the real Midwest, I'm not talking about Ohio, is like a totally different universe. Um, it's not as different as going from here to Latin America or Asia or Africa, but in a way it's more disorienting because everyone talks and acts for the most part pretty much the same. You're not expecting it to be terribly different, but those subtle differences are just enough to make you feel like you're slightly out of phase with the dimension that everyone else is traveling in. And a few weeks ago, I talked about differences in language, and the example I used was how my mom didn't think that I, having grown up in Kansas, um, wouldn't have known that Jumbo was a specific brand of bologna. And there's nothing wrong with calling bologna jumbo. It's got deep historical roots here in Western PA. Um, you know, it comes from a brand. Uh, but it was a major revelation for me in my life that there was once a brand um, that called their bologna jumbo bologna. Uh, sort of like we call all uh, Band-Aids Band-Aids now, right? Even though that's the brand. Well... When we think about that, about how we use the same language differently in different parts of the same country, that's what's happening in our passage today between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians in Galatia. Now, I'm pretty sure the debate had nothing to do with baloney. I don't think they even had it yet back then. Uh, they weren't struggling with literal language barriers in this particular case. But there were two different religious languages that were happening in the church at Galatia. The Jewish Christians came from a cultural upbringing in which circumcision, food law, certain special meals and celebration, and other rules and customs from the Torah, those first five books of the Hebrew portion of the Bible, that those were how they had learned to grow closer to God. They were a very important part of their spiritual journey. They were part of how they worshipped and communicated with God and with one another as a religious community. Whereas the Gentile Christians, the ones who had not been brought up Jewish, they had a completely different background and they didn't understand any of that stuff. 
It didn't even compute for them why on earth these things made the Jewish Christians feel closer to God. And out of this misunderstanding, this culture shock of the two groups coming together, stemmed an argument. The Jewish people insisted that the Gentiles could not really be Christians unless they followed the Jewish religious traditions, and the Gentiles insisted that they were able to have a relationship with God without circumcision and food law, so those things didn't matter at all. This is a perfect example of what I was talking about when I was talking about language barriers a few weeks ago. These barriers that keep people out of church or keep them separate. And this is why the way we say things is important. And not just the way we overtly say things with our words, but the way we say them through our spiritual practice as well. And letting themselves get sucked into a battle over circumcision versus non-circumcision, or traditional versus contemporary, perhaps. They created two separate classes of Christians, and this was unacceptable. They were both wrong. They were both wrong because they were both insisting that there was some sort of religious practice that would or could not save them. By the works of the law, no one will be justified. Because that is Jesus' job. They didn't need to rely on any set of religious practices or any avoidance of a particular set of religious practices to save them, to make them real Christians. They were already saved regardless. There's even some debate over the Greek phrase pistou yesu in this passage. Pistou means faith, yesu is Jesus. And it's often translated into English, we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, and read to mean our faith in Jesus Christ. But given the context and the way that these words are used in other places, it's more likely to mean we are saved by the faith of Jesus. In other words, we can't view faith as a saving action on our part. We can't view anything as a saving action on our part. We can only sit back and say, whoa, thank you, God, and embrace the reality that we are loved and forgiven. This opens up so much space for the Spirit to move, my sisters and brothers. When we aren't bolted to the floor by cumbersome rules and rites and traditions, we are free to dance and jump for joy and start wacky new partnerships in the community and do things that nobody would ever expect from a little Presbyterian church. Now, I love traditional liturgy. You guys know this. I like saying words that other saints have said for centuries and will continue to say for centuries more. I love singing hymns that I grew up with in my little Midwestern Presbyterian church. But none of those things save us. The Methodists down the road from St. Andrews or the Methodists down the road at Greenstone who have praise bands and different sorts of liturgies in their services, are just as saved by Jesus as we are. The Roman Catholics meeting all over Pittsburgh right now with incense and ancient masses are just as saved by Jesus as we are. My Northside home church, where the kids dance in the back of the room during the worship set and homeless men frequently get up to rap as part of the service, just as saved by Jesus as we are. 
when we poo-poo or ignore different ways of worshiping God, of communicating with our Redeemer, we are excluding an awful lot of people who are just as saved by Jesus as we are. God's love is way bigger than any church's way of doing things. Structure is good. Structure makes things reliable. But it can also be a barrier when everyone knows the structure and the way things are, except that new person. Rigid tradition without explanation or understanding creates barriers that make it nearly impossible for different groups of practicing Christians to get together peacefully, let alone people who are coming from outside the Christian tradition to see what this is all about. The world is changing rapidly. I'm not going to argue that that is not terrifying. I'm only 40, and I feel whipped around by the changing world sometimes. So it's nice to have something stable and reliable to cling to. It's a good thing to be able to come to church and know that there are certain things that are going to happen. We're going to sing some hymns. We're going to pray a prayer of confession, receive pardon, hear a sermon, a good one if we're lucky. We'll pray for one another. And that's all great. But we can't make those things gospel in and of themselves. And we can't make them just rote functions because that's what we think church is. Paul says that when we cling too tightly to tradition, it's, uh, it's, if it's going to save us, it's as if we think that Jesus died for no purpose. The answer, because that's the way we've always done it, is the theological equivalent of saying, we don't need Jesus, we've got this. Sometimes we do or say things in church that some of the folks gather together love, and some of them are uncomfortable with or unmoved by. And seeing as we're not a bunch of clones, and it's not the things we do or say in church that save us, that's fine. That's the way that it should be. B, if one person is always comfortable during church, that means there are an awful lot of people who are not always comfortable during church, and even more who have possibly been driven away because they feel like they have no voice. Please do not panic. When you arrive here next Sunday, you will not find the pews gone, a jumbotron up front, and a praise band ready to lead you in whatever song is popular on Caleb right now. That works for some churches, but I think it would be a bit of a misfit here. The Holy Spirit can move in subtler ways. The Holy Spirit has been moving through structured worship for centuries. I don't know why that would suddenly change now. But my friends, God gives us imaginations so that we can actively participate in the worship of all the saints of all the ages, in old ways and new ways and traditional ways and weird ways, and sometimes in ways that work and sometimes in ways that don't necessarily work. A few years ago, I had the privilege of attending a conference at the seminary at which Rachel Held Evans was one of the keynote speakers. And in it, she said something great when she was asked about how to get millennials, that generation born between 1982 and 2004, how to get them to come back to church. And her advice was, stop trying to be cool. Not only does trying to be cool and relevant seem fake and therefore not work at all, Young folks have a finely tuned BS meter, she said. 
She did not abbreviate it. It's untrue to the church's identity as being something weird and different and wonderful in the world. And it's unfaithful to the unique identity of the congregation that's trying too hard to be cool. Her exact words, it's not about making the church cool. It's about keeping the church weird. Her job is not to make the gospel relevant or to make worship appealing to other people. The gospel is relevant on its own terms without our help. When we lose sight of the real meaning of why we do what we do, when we make our salvation dependent on our worship, how we do it, how many participate, when we do it, where we do it, who is welcomed, or any other logistical element of it, it's as if Jesus died in vain. My dear friends, you are forgiven. You are saved. You are just as forgiven and saved right now as you were when you walked in these doors this morning. There is nothing in your sitting here this morning that has made you saved her. That is why we are here, not to become forgiven, but to be reminded of that forgiveness we have already been granted and to remind others of it, and to celebrate it. And that's weird. As the makeup of the congregation shifts and changes over the years with the neighborhood, as families grow and change, and more or less people think church is relevant or worth their time, as people sleep in or don't because of the time of year, the things we do here on Sunday morning shift and change as well. I was not here 150 years ago when this church was founded. None of you were either. Not even the person who's been the longest here today was here 150 years ago. But I will bet that their worship services looked very different than this one here today, this morning. For starters, they probably would have been shocked to pieces to see a woman standing up here in the pulpit preaching. Many Presbyterian churches back then sang only psalms. No hymns, no words outside of scripture, only psalms, often chanted with no instruments. The language they used would have been very different. Different slang, different ways of using words, jumbo and baloney. And I will bet in another 50 to 100 years, things will look equally different here in this sanctuary. I believe that this church could still be here in 50 to 100 years, but it must keep changing to do that. Change is a beautiful thing to be embraced. It's something that we can embrace without fear when we remember that this church doesn't save us. This worship doesn't forgive us. Being here today doesn't absolve you of your sins. That's already done. You're not here to gain absolution that you do not already have. You're here for the weekly reminder that you are already forgiven. Praise the Lord. Now, I promise prayer prompts each week as we enter into this new season of discernment and identity searching. So here is your prayer prompt for this week. Pray for insight into where you, as an individual, are bolted to the floor by tradition or rites or rituals or habits. Pray that the Holy Spirit would show you which of those things are bringing you life and growth and which ones need to go to the wayside. 
Pray that God would show you new and exciting ways to break out of those old ruts. And then, pray for insight into where we, as a faith community, are bolted to the floor by tradition or rites or rituals or habits. Pray that the Holy Spirit would show all of us which of those things are bringing this community life and growth and which ones need to go by the wayside. And pray that God would show us all new and exciting ways to break out of those old ruts and habits. Let us pray. God, give us constant reminders that we are forgiven, regardless of what we do or say. Help us each to live into that knowledge rather than to get caught up in relying on our own power. Show us where we are stuck in ruts of tradition and habit and how we can break free from those ruts to move on to places of healing and growth. Continue to guide us and give us direction as we enter into a new season of ministry and life together. Amen. Thank you.